Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88, wherever you are on the Faith FM network. And you are joined this morning by myself, Lawson, and sitting across from me, none other than the one and only Lyle Southwell. Double L team right here. We That's are back right. again. Yeah, living our best lives, getting it done. We had Praising some, the Lord. We had some fanfare over the uh, text line yesterday as to the to the brief return of the double L team. But hey, we're, we're getting it done. We're, Absolutely, we're, uh, it is happening. What is your plans for this year, La? My plans for this year revolve around a whole bunch of projects. We have a rise happening. For those unfamiliar with a rise, it is a three month uh, Bible school intensive. Mm. And takes place in the north of North New South Wales, up near Kingscliff. So mm. keep that in mind. It happens in the first half of the year every year. And if it's something that you would be in, in interested in joining in with, then certainly contact us here on on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. So, yeah, that's kind of the big project to kick off the year. Also have uh, seminars that I've got taking place in Mullumbimby mm. in February, and then Coffs Harbour in early March. Yeah, wow. So those will be Bible prophecy seminars, um, free to the public. So once again, love to see you guys there. Stay tuned, and you will get details. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we are fans of you joining us on Faith FM and spending time on the breakfast show. But it's amazing to see that you're you're into all over North New South Wales doing evangelism. Papua New Guinea as well. PNG, PNG off to PNG this year. So yeah, uh, wow. God bless all of our PNG listeners. Uh, we will be heading to PNG. That's so amazing. Oh, praise the Lord. Hey, so many amazing things going down. If you've got big plans for this year, or maybe you've just got quaint plans. I know I'm, I'm planning to study for the entirety of this year. If you're just doing things like that, hey, let us know. Coming up in today's show, we are going to be doing an interview with Brad Moody on apologetics. We are going to be looking at potholes saving lives, which is... Quite interesting. We're also going to be taking a focus today on the Pope and Nigeria. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joined by myself, Lawson. We got Lyle in the studio today, getting it done. And hey, we've got our first quiz question for the day. If you can get that for us, Lyle. Okay, in the Bible, in the books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Which book follows Micah? Okay. So if you know which book comes after Micah... There's a bunch of people singing the books of the Bible song right now. That's right. They are singing it in their heads, <laughs> trying to figure out which one comes after Micah. Absolutely. If you know the answer, 0491-064-669. This is one where I, I guess you could guess if you, if you didn't know, but you wanted to just throw down a name, you can just think, hey, what are some books in that area of the Bible and just just throw a name at us. And if you don't know, we usually give some allowance. We say if you're not a weekly church attender, we give you, you know, the allowance to open the Bible up, to have a look in 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 the index there, or have a look in the Bible to find some of these answers. But if you are a weekly church attender, use that big brain of yours again, 0491-064-669, which book follows Micah? And if you answer that question correctly, you'll go into the draw for this week's prize, the Revive Cafe Cookbook. We're giving away number three, or volume three, which is an incredible book full of amazing, healthy, plant-based recipes that are also tasty and 
awesome. So we want to give that to you absolutely for free. 0491 Which book follows Micah? Okay, in the good news today, Lyle. Yes, how much tell me some good do news. you like potholes? I don't. You Why not? Well, it's kind of like this. I don't mind wombat holes. Okay. Wombat holes are okay. Yeah, okay. But potholes... Because they have cute furry wombats in them. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, uh, all right. Yeah, they, they do, but potholes... Not so much. Potholes just have money in them. And I know that right now, like, <laughs> I haven't been driving my car a lot lately, but my car, the steering in my car is, like, off from hitting a pothole. Like, I've, I've, done, <laughs> I've done the alignment in my car 100%. Now, I, I was reading some statistics about potholes recently. So, in the UK, there were 630,000 potholes reported to local councils. Oh, those are the ones that were reported. Reported, yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's not much because the vast majority of potholes are just fixed. I just, yeah. Rather than right. reported. And here in a... I've never reported a pothole in my life. Yeah, neither have I. I. I didn't know that was... I thought it was the council's job just to like... Do it. they exist and fix them. Yeah. But furthermore, here in Australia, uh, there is calls for an extra $1 billion to go towards the road repair funds because of the amount of potholes that we have here. There's there's so many potholes and there's so many people that are like well, we've had one, losing money. Three years of rain, yeah, something like was it three years of rain or four years of rain? Yeah, we've, three years of rain. We, we've had we've had a decent amount of rain since uh, since 2019 and you know drought during that time. So yeah, really we've we're and now people are experiencing potholes. Not so much you know I, I I've spent a lot of time on the Hume Highway over the over the Christmas period. But yeah, over that time, like when you're on the freeway, you're good. But yeah, driving out on some of the country roads and having to dodge and swerve and go around stuff and, and whatnot, it's like, okay, there's, there are some serious potholes out here that need to be fixed. And they're calling, hey, fix the potholes. Give us an extra billion dollars to the road to fix it. But, you know, there used to be a time um, yeah. before all of this rain that we had when if you know someone was someone was swerving all over the road, you'd think, ah, oh, that person's been drinking too much. Now yeah. if somebody's driving in a straight line, they've definitely been drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not swerving. Because <laughs> of potholes. Even, potholes. you know, we... Uh, oh, man. The, the, the area where we're broadcasting from, old Kurumbong, is notorious for potholes as well. Yes. And, and the, them just cropping up everywhere. But there is a story... Yes. That has come out of India where potholes have actually saved a person's life. Oh, okay. You might be thinking, well, how does that happen? There was a man. He had died of a chest infection as an 80-year-old. He, he was laying in the hospital bed on the ventilator, and they had seemed to have lost his heartbeat. And what they did is they, they're like... In, in India, the way it goes, everyone was waiting for him to go because they were like, oh, he's, he's pretty close. Yep. And as soon as he went, they chucked him straight in the ambulance and they're like, we're going to the wake. like that. that the funeral. The, the funeral. The, yep. as, as soon as he went, they chuck him in and he's in there with his grandson. And the, and he's, you know, he's, he's... They have some pretty epic potholes in India. That's right. It, it is a Like place next level potholes. Riddled with, with potholes. And as you said, next level potholes that have caused, yeah, all kinds of... Havoc, but in this case, they're in the back of the ambulance. He's not breathing. He's he's not on his ventilator. They're driving along. They hit a massive pothole. You know, he he uh, he kind of like bounces in his bed, and all of a sudden, the grandson looks over and sees his hand start to twitch as he's laying in the bed. 
<laughs> and then he he's he starts going, Grandpa, Grandpa. And Grandpa opens his eyes and is there. He's like, oh, hello. And Grandpa's okay. And they take him back to hospital and put him back on the ventilator. Put him back on the ventilator. And he continues to live. And now he's not even on a ventilator anymore. He's breathing steadily. So he just needed to, he just needed a big jolt. That's right. That's right. You know, when you go to some of these developing countries or less developed countries, you find that there are potholes. The potholes that exist, there's no such thing as speed, there's no need for speed limits. Because the size of the potholes require you to slow down so much, you're doing like you know, 20, 30 kilometers an hour because it's just impossible to go any faster because of the potholes. I can, I can imagine hitting a big enough pothole to give somebody pothole defibrillation. Mm. Yeah, that, like, which is just the most, that's literally what happened, pothole defibrillation. And I read this story and I just saw like immediately, you know, some Bible parallels Staying constant under trials and whatnot, the the trials that can bring you from death to life. I have a verse here from James as well, from James chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, but when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And dude, this guy, he's He's never going to complain about potholes again. That's right. He's experienced a trial that causes many, many points of derision and annoyance and, and thousands of dollars in car repairs. And it has brought him from death to life. This is like the most epic story. I'm wondering, I've seen. I'm wondering what the uh, wheel alignment on that on that uh, ambulance is like after hitting a pothole big enough to uh, bring someone back to life. Guy. Yeah, that's right. And obviously, yeah, as you said, defibrillation. So, and and that's the thing. I think I don't know whether it's defibrillation or or what it was that bounced yeah. his heart back into life. But uh, yeah, something something gave him the jolt that he needed. They are a little bit worried about like, oh, does he have irregular heartbeats? They're doing some tests and whatnot in the hospital. But this guy is alive, continuing to live. And again, he was on a ventilator. He couldn't breathe without one. Now he is off the ventilator. He is actively getting better from hitting a pothole. This is this yeah, is that's an epic a, story. a story for the ages. Nah, that's really, really cool. Hey, I wanted to also tell you guys a story just in the last moments that I have here of my new segment. This is a story that Monica used to report on every single year. Okay. Every single year. Shout out to Mon, wherever she is across Tasmania. Australia. She's in Tasmania still. That's good to know. Last Almost time man. I talked to her, she was in Tasmania. But you never know where she's going to be. She has told a story multiple years in a row from a Pennsylvania hockey game where everyone throws teddy bears onto the ice at a particular time in the game. And it's like a huge Christmas drive fund, essentially. And they throw thousands of teddy As soon as they get into the second half of the game, they throw thousands of teddy bears onto the ice. Well, this year, they broke the record with 75,000 teddy bears thrown onto the ice like four minutes into the second half of the game. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, it's a charity tradition that they do. They then have to spend a considerable amount of time collecting those teddy bears and taking them off so they can continue the game. But this is kind of like the same thing in baseball where they let celebrities and whatnot throw the first pitch and they're like, oh, 
it's a bit of a it's a bit of a giveaway. Kind of same thing with this this game. Is it's oh it's it's our it's our Christmas game. It's our Christmas drive. So you just game. get out there and you play hard, and the whole time you're waiting for the first hit. That's right. It's out. like hey, whoever can get that score before the second half, you know, whoever can get that lead because the game's going to be pretty much shut down by seventy five thousand teddy deep, bears. How deep is that in the in in in, in the hockey uh, rink? Oh, I think I think man, like I, knee deep at least. Yeah. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Lyle, well, give us our next quiz question. Okay, next quiz question. Here it comes. According to Jeremiah 26, verse 18, Micah of Morasheth prophesied during whose reign? Ah, okay. So during whose reign did Micah prophesy? All right, so we are seeing a bit of a theme here running throughout the quiz, a focus on the book of Micah. So you might need to get your Micah facts and and knowledge, dig them up. Just during the next song, just read the book of Micah. Yeah, go for it. It it won't, it'll probably take that long. 0491-064-669 is the number to text if you know the answer to that one. Again, according to Jeremiah 2618, Micah of Morasheth, Prophesied during whose reign? Who was the the king at the time when Micah was prophesying? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. That is the number to text to win our prize for this week. Which again, if you put a correct answer in, it will get you a chance in the draw to win the Revive Cafe Cookbook number three on Friday when we spin the wheel. But hey, Lyle. Yes. What is happening in the world of current news? Okay, so a story that you reported on late last year uh, about Pope Francis creating an approval for blessings on same-sex marriages or same-sex yes. couples mm-hmm. um, has been rejected by Africa. So this is a pretty wow. radical move by Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy is a long way to the left. He's a very, very much progressive uh, Jesuit. Mm. And that's kind of how the Jesuits have always operated. So a lot of people might find this puzzling. You know, why would why would Pope Francis do such a thing? But you need to understand a little bit of the history of the Jesuit order mm. and a little bit of the history of the Roman Catholic Church. Historically, the Roman Catholic Church has grown by adopting the culture that it finds itself in. So if you, for instance, go back to the 4th century, you're going to find that uh, the Catholic Church back in the 4th century was adopting a lot of practices of pagan paganism. So most of what you're going to find in modern-day Catholicism originates in uh, the pagan religions of Western Europe. Mm. And so they adopted those in, renamed them, adapted them, cre- made them their own. And then when the Catholic Church went out in missionary endeavor, wherever they went in the world, they continued to do the same thing. Mm. And so they'd create this syncretism uh, with the culture in which they found themselves. And so it's unsurprising that Pope Francis would try to move the Catholic Church in the direction of the culture of the world today, Mm. because historically that is how the church has always operated. Mm. However, it has been soundly rejected by a large portion of the Catholic Church in fairly conservative Catholic countries, and predictably so. He has created a fairly significant schism within the Catholic Church over this particular issue. Mm. So President of the Symposium of Episcopal Conferences of Africa and Madagascar, CCAM, has signed uh, a five-page letter addressing the uh, representing the Afri- Africa's bishops. 
that, which states, we, the African bishops, do not consider it appropriate for Africa to bless homosexual unions or same-sex couples because in our context this would cause confusion and would be in direct contradiction to the cultural ethos of African communities. Mm. Which is kind of interesting because they're saying, hey, we can't do this in Africa because it doesn't work with African culture mm. What they're not saying is we can't do this because it doesn't work in with biblical culture. Yeah. And so you see the continuation of this practice of Catholicism that has been there for, you know, a couple of millennia now, Mm -hmm. really, uh, of aligning themselves with the culture in which they find themselves rather than aligning themselves with the Bible. And so mm. you know, my appeal to Pope Francis and my appeal to the African bishops would be, okay, forget the culture you are in right now. That is not what is relevant. Go back and study the Bibles for yourself. Mm. Find out what the Bible says and follow what the Bible says. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when when the Anglican Church, for example, and the Methodist Church and, and these mainline Protestant churches were moving the needle on this and, and people came to the Catholic Church and said, or to Pope Francis and said, why aren't we changing this? The simple response was, we can't bless sin. You know, this, this is what Pope Francis' yes, original response what he originally was. said. And, and, and by originally, I mean like a year ago. Yes. Like they were like, oh, we can't bless sin. We can't do this. And then obviously they've they've moved this needle to fit in with culture. And it's it's really interesting. One of my very good friends is grew up as a Roman Catholic in U- Uganda. Mm-hmm. And... She, hearing this news, was was shocked. Like, telling me the stories of the reaction to the LGBT community in, in Uganda, like, where they've just banned them. Like, yeah, that's right. Now, there was a little period there where, where they, were, they were a little bit more liberal in their politics uh, in, during the 2010s, and they're like, oh, maybe, and they're doing news interviews, and they're coming to certain conclusions. Now, like, they've, the, the current government's just banned it. And just yes, said, it like, some very classic news interviews. Th- that's, uh, that's right. They're just like, we, <laughs> we, do not, we, we do not accept this here. It's not what the people want. They did, they, yeah, the previous government did, you could say, a trial with, how, how do the people respond to this? And they found resoundingly that no, no, one, no one wants this. And so particularly then for those in Uganda who are religious, like, and those who are yeah. Catholic. Like, it reminds me of the story of, it reminds me of the story of Balaam, mm. you know, because the reality is it doesn't matter what Pope Francis says. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the bishops of Africa say. Mm. If God hasn't blessed, it can't be blessed. If God hasn't cursed, it can't be cursed. That's it. Yeah, wow. You know? Mm. Uh, Balaam found out that to his uh, chagrin because he was trying to become wealthy mm-hmm. as a result of trying to bless what God had not, uh, or in his case, curse what God had not um, cursed. Mm. Okay, so moving on from there, Wheaton College in the United States is in the news. Okay. And the reason that Wheaton College is in the news is because they are unique in the United States. There are about 4,000 uh, degree-conferring colleges and universities in the United States. Mm-hmm. And Wheaton College, out of all of those, is unique in that it has effectively banned employees or prohibited employees from using preferred pronouns. Really? So this is a pretty controversial move in today's society. Yeah. Uh, they say that the college neither endorses nor requests the statement of preferred uh, personal pronouns by members of the college community. It does not permit the statement of preferred personal pronouns by employees when conducting college business. Mm-hmm. When on a platform where they are publicly identified as college employees and or when using the college brand in print or digital media. Mm-hmm. 
college created form surveys questionnaires should only include male and female sex options without additional gender options. Wow. They go on to say that Witten College believes that sexual intimacy was created as a gift by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman in the context of a lifelong marriage commitment. Mm -hmm. The handbook also addresses uh, trans surgery, saying uh, the college considers the decision to undergo a medical transition or to engage in other persistent actions or behaviours at variance with one's birth sex violate the biblical and theological commitments for students and employees in the community Covenant and Statement of Faith. Mm. Okay, so that's, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, everyone would go and, yeah, and? <laughs> every <laughs> Christian haven't. college in the United States, every Christian college in the world believes that. Mm-hmm. But now that is super radical. It is so radical, it is making the headlines. Mm. Uh, this was a policy that was uh, formulated last year, but I think it was back like October last year, thereabouts, mm. but now it's come out in the handbook and we can get a copy of the handbook and actually read it in print. Mm. And so it is making headlines across the United States because out of around about 4,000 of these institutions, there is one. There is one who's making this. And I wish standard. there was a whole lot more. Mm. Why are there not a whole lot more that are in the news right now? I suspect that uh, my alma mater um, at Heartland College would have a similar uh, view on this, mm. but they're not in the news. Mm-hmm. And that disappoints me. We should be in the news taking a stand mm. because if we take a stand on something in society that follows a, a biblical pattern rather than a, a biblical model rather than a cultural model, then that will bring us to the attention of society. We can be in the news. And, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, absolutely. It's just publicity. There are people who would want to attend this college because of this standard that they've set. Oh, most assuredly. Yeah, this this is this is good publicity. This is very good publicity for them, and they're going to get a boost in numbers as a result of it. Mm. Very quickly, a story coming out of Nigeria. You've just had another fifteen Christians killed in Nigeria. Yeah, wow. A bunch of Boko Haram uh, terrorists went into a village, killed a bunch of Christians, waited for the funeral to take place, and then ambushed people who were going to the funeral and killed a bunch more. Um, and took some uh, children, um, kidnapped some children to take away, no doubt, as sex slaves. Nigeria is the sixth worst place in the world for a Christian to live. Mm. And, of course, we never hear these stories. Nobody kind of really cares because it's in Africa. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You're joined by myself, Law, so we got Lyle in the studio this morning as well. And before we get into our interview, we are going to have our next quiz question. Okay, all of these quiz questions coming from the book of Micah in Micah chapter 1 and verse 4. What happens when the Lord comes down from his dwelling place and treads the high places of the earth? A, the mountains melt. B, the valleys split apart. C, both A and B. Mm, all of the above. Hey, if you know the answer to that one, 0491-064-669. And guys, we're making it pretty easy for you this morning. It's A, B, or C there. Just text us at 0491-064-669. That is the text to go in for the draw. Again, those options were, again, coming from Micah chapter 1, verse 4. What happens when the Lord comes down from his dwelling places and treads on the high place of the earth? Do A, the mountains melt, B, the valley split apart, or C, 
all of the above. Let us know. 0491-064-669. You're listening to The Breakfast Show this morning, and on the phone, we have none other than Brad Moody getting into apologetics with us. Brad, are you there with us? I am, mate. Can you hear me all right? Oh, mate, we, we got you loud and clear to talk well <laughs> and clearly about a really important topic, and that is all about worship and days of worship. Yeah. So for those of us who have been traveling along uh, over the last, uh, well, really 12 months of our apologetic journey, uh, we have come to the point, we've been discussing reconciliation between law and grace. Uh, how do we bring those two points together? And this is a tension that, that has been uh, echoing down through the ages. And we essentially determined that we keep God's commandments and we respect and love his law, not in order to be saved, not to get Jesus to love us more, but as a result of Jesus' love. In other words, we do these things because we love Jesus and we are Mm. saved by grace alone. I just need to reiterate this before we get into our topic today, especially. We're saved by grace alone, as Ephesians says, um, but as a fruit of that grace that we are saved through faith by, as a fruit of that root, we will obey the commandments because we love Jesus as he himself commanded us in John 14, 15, that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. So in following on from that, today we are striking at the real issue with the Ten Commandments in greater Christendom. Now, this is this because you'll probably understand, I I imagine Lyle and and Lawson, both you have had interactions with Christians by and large that have no problem discouraging people from breaking nine of the Ten Commandments that, once again, were written with God's own finger on tables of stone. They'll say things like, yeah, of course it's an immutable principle. It's not something that we can go back on, that people should not worship idols that people should not take the Lord's name in vain. No, of course, that's never going to be okay. People should never lie. People should never steal. People should never dishonor their parents. But for some reason, there is one particular commandment in particular that at its very mention leads people to say, the law was done away with at the cross. Stop being a legalist in keeping the law. But far from keeping the law, we do not want this particular commandment to be done away with as it's one of the greatest blessings that God ever gave to humanity. One of the two things, just side note, that came out of the Garden of Eden after the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. And that is marriage. But what we're talking about today is the Sabbath. So today we wanted to unpack the beauty of the Sabbath as something that God has provided for humanity's sake, might I just say, not just the Jews, which is probably one of the other big arguments against this whole idea of the Sabbath. So for those of you who are listening, who don't know what the Sabbath is, essentially the Sabbath is a day of rest, day of rest, a day that is taken aside upon God's commandment for us to just spend time with family, to spend time with God and developing those relationships. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing as we're going to discover. But the whole idea of it not being something for just the Jews is something, this is our first point that we really need to clarify. So many people say that the Sabbath was made for the Jews and it's not necessary for Christians. Let's just take a look at a couple of verses. Firstly, Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through to 3. Basically, it says there, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And then on the seventh day, which we know is Saturday, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day, once again Saturday, from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. In other words, put it aside for a holy purpose. Mm. 
because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now, critical note, let me ask you guys, Lyle and, and Lawson, let me ask you, did God bless the act of resting or did God bless the day, the seventh day? Which of those do you think? Well, he blessed the seventh day. Yeah. He blessed the Sabbath. Exactly. That's what the phrase, and this is where people get it, I think, a little bit mixed up because people say, I Sabbath on Sunday or I Sabbath on Friday or to the extent of a lot of people saying, I am Sabbathing every day. Every day of the week is my Sabbath, which is great. I mean, Hebrews talks about finding rest in Jesus, but let us not negate the fact that God blessed a specific day. He didn't bless the act of resting. And it's re- and he reiterated its importance with those Ten Commandments a number of centuries later yeah, with Moses could, going up onto the mountain. If I, if, I could just, if I could just jump in there for, for a moment, if God blessed the act of resting, then he would have defeated a lot of the purpose for the Sabbath day, which was to create community, because you can't have community mm. if everybody's resting on a different day that they choose. That's impossible. Mm. So <laughs> it's, it's self-defeating. It's completely self-defeating if he blesses the act of resting rather than blessing a day. Ah, that's such a good point. That's such a good point. And this is the thing. Jesus himself tells us that the Sabbath was made not just for the Jews, but for all mankind, right? So in Mark chapter 2 and verse 27, he said, the Sabbath was made for man. It doesn't say that it was made for Judah or for the Israelites or or, or for people back then. No, no, it says that it was made for man. And like you say, it's about bringing man together, together in one to serve the Lord. That's such a bold point. Thank you for that. Law. Mm. Furthermore, I want you to notice that it was designed for man. It wasn't designed to be a curse to man. It was designed to be a blessing for man in that God wanted to bless us, us with rest together with himself. And I can't understand why people are running away from the commandment of God to base that basically says, take a break. Take a holiday. Take a holy day, in other words, off with me to spend with me and with your family. Take some time aside. I've set a specific day that I have blessed with my own presence um, just <clears throat> blows my mind that, that we would try and run away from something that is such a blessing to us. The next point that we need to mention is how God worded his commandments. So notice how it says it in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 till 11. The very, the very first word is so critical in our understanding of its application for today. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In other words, the rest day, the seventh day. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within you. Your guys trying to be very specific here, it seems. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven, the earth, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the, sev- the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, notice a couple of things here. The Sabbath was a commemoration of creation, yes. not a commemoration of these people becoming Israelites who have just come out of, e- of Egypt. They've escaped from bondage, praise the Lord, and they've received their national identity. But this is a commemoration of creation, of a recognition of him as the creator. So notice that to this Disregard the Sabbath is to disregard the Creator. That's just so critical to understand. To disregard the Sabbath is to disregard the Creator. And we, we, we certainly are not going to end up in a good place if that's the case. Now, another yeah. question to you guys. Why would you say that God uses the word remember? What would that bring to your mind, Lawson? What would that bring to your mind, Lyle? 
Uh, well, I, I think here, you know, these stipulations that are being made at Mount Sinai to the Israelite people, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, very much like those principles were in p- place before sin, but they didn't need to be stipulated because people were innately doing them and keeping them. Uh, the law at that time was written on oh, our hearts point. and in our being and in our mind. But God found it so important during that time, even in an era before sin, to specifically stipulate that the Sabbath be kept. And now, as if, if this is one of God's foundational principles of the human experience outside of sin, surely it's even more foundational and more important as not killing and not stealing mm. and not lying has become important. So well, the Sabbath is just all the, there's all the more reason to point to it and say, this is something that needs to be kept. This is something that needs to be done. And when, when the word, you know, when God uses the oh, word absolutely. remember there, the thing that pops into my mind is that this is something that God has obviously seen will be easy to forget. You know, the other commandments, pretty hard to forget, you know, don't kill, don't steal, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but this one is the one that's going to be easy to forget. So it's like, okay, here's the commandment. Don't forget it. And what happened? Well, kind of pretty much everybody forgot it. Mm. Exactly right. It was almost prophetic in its, in its significance, that one word, remember. You know, something I've never really thought about, apart from that, which is such a, such a true point, like God looking down through the stream of time and saw that this was the one that people would likely forget, uh, especially it being important in the sense that it's the time that is set aside for developing our relationship with God. Um, I'll come back to that point in a second. But the other, the other significance of the word remember, it's almost like as if it's, it's not something that you haven't heard about. It's almost like as if God's already said this to them. And, and and a lot of people say that the Sabbath was instituted at Sinai. Well, actually not quite, as we can see in the commandment. It's a commemoration of creation. And secondly, when we look at Genesis chapter 2, and that's when it was actually instituted was at the very creation of the world. It's a recognition of that. So he's like, remember the fact that I created you. Remember the fact that, that, that I brought you out of bondage and I'm giving you freedom from that. And now I'm giving you some rest. This is a significant element of that Sabbath. Now, back to the point developing the relationship with God, the devil knows that if he can destroy people's relationship or their means of developing a relationship with God, they will be severed from their source of power and their success in the Christian walk. That is just so critical. And this is reiterated in in, in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 20 that talks about how the Sabbath sets God's people apart. It says there, hallow my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign. In other words, something that sets you apart, that that shows people, this is obvious, that you, that ye they know that I am the Lord your God. And that word they know is obviously the, the same sort of intimacy that, that God is wanting to have with his people that, that was, was typified in the intimacy that happened between Adam and Eve when they were, when, when, when they were, um, uh, um, uh, 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 getting acquainted intimately to, to, to the, 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 the posterity of the race, you know? Now, let me ask another question. Let me ask another question. Just sort of taking a slight, um, deviation at this point. What is a Christian? What is it by definition? What is a Christian? A follower of Christ, a disciple. Nailed in one, a follower of Christ. So then if Christ did it, should we not do it? Absolutely. Christ is our example. So I want to just look at one quick example. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Oh no! Fantastic point. That's that. That is where we stand. That is that should be our position. If if Christ does it, then we do it. 
we 100% agree. Exactly. So, so just want to just take a quick look through. We've only got a couple minutes left. But Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 says, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he was brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, mm-hmm. can you guys tell me what is a custom? Just so that I make sure that I'm reading this correctly. What is a custom in this context? What does that mean? Yeah, a custom is like a habit right or uh, something that it, right. and it says it's his custom it doesn't say it was the custom of his mom or the custom of his dad it says it was jesus's oh, custom. So it's his own habitual yes. action that he himself did yeah that gives more to it than even i thought but that's exactly what i was thinking it's, it's his habit this is the thing that, that he did on a regular basis mm. now some may argue that christ was intentionally disregarding the sabbath throughout his ministry for example when he was healing people on the sabbath but he says himself that he was not breaking the sabbath notice when they accuse him for healing someone on the sabbath mm. what he says to them in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 11 and 12 for the reference he said unto them what shall their man do be among you that shall have a sheep and if you fall into a pit on the Sabbath day will not lay a hold of it and lift it out. How much more then is a man better than she- than the sheep? And notice what he says. Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. In other words, it's good to do good on the Sabbath. He's not saying, oh, you're you don't need to keep the Sabbath, just yes. do good. That's the thing that's most important, which is what Christians generally say. No, no, he's saying you need to do well on the Sabbath. It's especially important mm. on the Sabbath. Notice he didn't do away with it, but the Sabbath was a day of doing good. And mm. if you think about it, that's what the commandment says. Literally, it says rest and give others rest. Yes. And you're giving rest to people when you're helping them out of a pit, per se, as the <laughs> sheep. Uh, anyway, that's aside from it. Continuing on, did the disciples, so yes, Jesus kept the Sabbath, we've got that clear, but what about the disciples and the early church? Well, there's a, a whole bunch of verses, for the sake of time, I won't go through them all, but there's one in Acts chapter 13, there's one in Acts chapter 16, another one in Acts chapter 17, and, and, and the one just in Acts chapter 17 to give a clear one so we can move on and paul as his manner was or in other words like his custom he went unto them and three sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures so it was his custom to go to them on the sabbath days as well all right and then furthermore we have john the revelator just another quick example it says that i was in the spirit on the lord's day revelation chapter 1 verse 10 and i heard behind me a great voice so the, so john gets his vision on the only day that it could possibly be of the lord's day throughout scripture which is often commonly ascribed to Sunday, but it has to have been the Sabbath because there is nowhere else in the New Testament that ever suggested a day of the Lord being Sunday or any such thing. We can only logically conclude that John the Revelator was talking about the Sabbath as the day of Jesus, the day of the Lord, which is the same day that he claimed his own. Back in Mark chapter 2 and verse 28, he says, therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Mm. So he's claiming the Sabbath as his own. Now, just very briefly, do people in the end times keep the Sabbath? That's critical. So we all, okay, yeah, sure, Jesus, yeah, the early church, yeah, yeah, John the Revelator, but what about the, 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 new, the new Christian era? What about now in the end of time? Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. Now, these are the people that have faced the mark of the beast crisis, the very end of the world crisis, and they're forced to worship. And it says that these refuse to worship the beast in his image. They keep the commandments of God. Don't miss this. God says, remember Sabbath, as if he knew people would forget it. And then at the end of the time, he says that there's going to be some people who will keep the commandments of God. And then notice what it says. Two more quick verses. Revelation 22 and verse 14 says, 
Blessed are they that do his commandments that they might have the right to the tree of life. Now, I want a right to the tree of life, so I'm going to strive to keep the commandments, not because that's the means of my salvation, but because I love Jesus. And Mm. finally, it's logical because in the new heavens and the new earth, as Isaiah 66 and verse 22 and 23 says, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I shall make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. It goes on to say, and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, Mm. saith the Lord. In the new earth, in the new kingdom, we will be keeping the Sabbath as a continuation of what we've been doing here on earth. Amen. Rapid fire stuff there, Brad, just to see that right throughout history from the beginning until the end of history, as the Bible gives future history as well, God's people will be following Mm. Jesus. They'll be keeping the Sabbath. They'll be resting together and they'll be worshiping him. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.